Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning on Facebook Live. This is coming to you from Faith Fellowship Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Happy Palm Sunday. Today we're going to celebrate communion online. I know that's kind of unusual, but in our church we celebrate communion every first Sunday of the month, and COVID-19 is not going to change that for us. You might say, well, in our church, we have communion every day or every week or maybe twice a month or even once a year. And that's okay because although the Bible doesn't tell us how often to have it, it just tells us to have it. And we realize there's a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different ways that communion is administered and different ways that people participate in communion. And if you happen to disagree, disagree with the way that we do communion, then we want you to know that it is not our intention to offend anybody. And we also realize there are people that may not believe in self-serve communion, and if that's the case, then we understand. But we want you to know that we respect your beliefs, and we ask you to do the same for us. If you've seen our announcement on Facebook uh, about having communion this morning, then you know, we asked everyone that wanted to participate to have some bread or crackers available with some juice as well. And if this is the first time you heard about it, then you still have time to get those elements uh, because we'll do communion at the end of the service. And we really hope that everyone will join us. But before we participate, I'd like to spend a few minutes teaching on the origin of communion and why we celebrate it, and the reason that uh, Palm Sunday is so significant on the Christian calendar. Communion actually began in the Old Testament. And I love studying the Old Testament because it's so rich with types and shadows of the New Testament. A type is a person or thing that has common characteristics, and a shadow is a preview of what's coming in the future. And the reason they call it a shadow is because if you had the light shining behind you, and you were getting ready to walk through a doorway, your shadow would go through the doorway before you. And if you got a profile like mine, everybody would know who it is before, before I actually come through the doorway. So that's why we call them shadows. It's a shadow of things to come. And uh, we're looking for things that point to Jesus and the life of the modern-day believer or the modern-day Christian. And I love searching for these things and if you look closely, you'll find Jesus in every book of the Bible. And besides, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the children, speaking of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, told us that all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition or to warn us, those that are living in the last days, talking about us. And well, if there's examples in the Old Testament that will warn us of things to come, and especially if these things point to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I want to know what they are. So let's see if we can find some this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And before we go there, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. 
We love you so much this morning, Lord. We thank you for all the good things you've done, the things that you're doing, the things that you're about to do. We ask you, Lord, for revelation knowledge this morning, understanding. Show us the things that we need to hear this morning. Teach us the things that you want us to know this morning. Lord, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, there shall you be in the midst of them. Well, it's me and Brother Daryl and the Holy Ghost here this morning. That's three, and then all of our listeners out there this morning. I'm sure we qualify for you to be in our presence. So we thank you for being in our presence this morning. We know that you're always present to perform your word, and we know that you're always present to see that your word is carried out. And we know that your word will not return unto you void, but it shall accomplish that which you have sent it to do. And that's what we're believing for this morning. And we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So if you have your Bible or your Bible apparatus, turn with me to Exodus 12, and we'll start reading with the first verse. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speaking of the uh, Jewish calendar. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take, select, or choose for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, that was God talking to Moses. Now, Moses takes it to the elders or the leaders of Israel, and he conveys the message to them in chapter 12, verse 21 through 24. Let's also read that. It says, Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out, select, or choose, and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. 
Sounds a little bit like quarantine, huh? For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. First of all, God told Israel they had to choose on a certain day, the 10th of Nisan, the month, an innocent lamb without blemish. And then on the 14th day, another certain day, they had to kill that lamb. And this is a type and shadow of Christ, the Lamb of God, who was innocent and without blemish. And when the apostle John seen him coming as he was baptizing in the Jordan River, he said to the people, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb John saw coming that day was the Lord Jesus Christ. And God introduced him to the world that day as the chosen one. He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him or pay attention to him. So Israel had to choose their lamb just like we have to choose our lamb. It has to be our choice. But when we choose, we have to be certain that that lamb we choose is innocent and without blemish. The lamb we choose must be perfect and without sin, a sacrifice that would be acceptable and pleasing to God. We have to choose the same lamb that God chose, and that lamb is his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And then the children of Israel were instructed to take the blood of that spotless, innocent lamb that they chose and apply it to the upper doorpost and to the two side posts of the house where they were going to eat the lamb that night or have communion. So God said, the blood that you applied to the doorframe shall be to you for a token, a symbol, an emblem upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, hence the name for this celebration, Passover. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So we need to understand it wasn't enough just to have faith in the blood. We also had to apply the blood. Faith always requires an action on our part. And uh, James said, faith without works is dead. So you say you have faith in the blood then you have to apply it. But how do I apply it? This is interesting. They had a hyssop branch. We don't have a hyssop branch. We haven't killed the sacrifice. We don't do that anymore. But Pastor Mark Hankins said this, you apply it with your tongue. Your tongue is the hyssop that you apply the blood with. And he wasn't talking about licking doorposts or lentils of the house. Uh, especially today, we don't want to lick anything. But if you've accepted the sacrifice of God's chosen lamb and you had to do it by believing in your heart first and then what? Speaking with your tongue that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That's how you get saved. That's how you apply the blood. And when you did that, you took the blood of that sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and by faith you painted it on the doorpost and lintel of your heart. And when you did that, you were born again. You were saved. You become a child of God. You become a Christian, a believer. And we can still spiritually and symbolically apply that blood today. 
When my wife and I pray for our personal family and also for our church family, we oftentimes plead the blood of Jesus on them for protection. Not bleed, plead with a P. We plead the blood of Jesus. And we do that with our tongue. And, and I love what Pastor Mark Hankins' wife, Trina, said concerning the blood. She said, and, and we should remember these words as we go throughout our, our day. She said, God is on my side, for the blood has been applied. Every need shall be supplied. Nothing shall be denied. So I enter into rest, and I know that I am blessed. I have passed the test. I will get God's bless. Isn't that good? Uh, uh, and there's, there's power in the blood that Jesus shed for us. And the only thing God was looking for when he passed over the land of Egypt that night was the blood of that innocent lamb. It was the blood and only the blood that saved the children of Israel. And it is the blood and only the blood that can save us. See, God didn't care who was in that house. He didn't care what level of education they had, if they were man, woman, child, if they were heavy set, if they were thin, if they were educated, uneducated, rich, not rich, poor. He didn't care who was in the house. He only cared and he was only interested in the blood on the doorposts and the lentils. So if we can get our families into the house of God, God will save them. God will protect them. He will deliver them and heal them. He said, when I see the blood, I will not allow the destroyer to come in unto you. But he also warned them. He said, you have to stay in the house. In other words, you have to stay under the blood, under the protection of the blood. And that was their covering. And we see throughout the Bible where God provides a covering for his people, a place of protection for his children. Noah had to stay in the ark. Israel had to stay in the house. And then they had to stay under the cloud. Paul had to stay in the ship. We have to stay under the shadow of the Almighty. And if they weren't obedient, it would have cost them their lives. And people nowadays think they can live any way they want, and God will protect them and provide for them and fulfill all his promises for them. But let me tell you something. When you're not living for God and you're not living a life of obedience, then God is not obligated to do a thing for you. He wants to. It's his will that none of us perish. It's his will that we all prosper, and it's his will that we uh, remain in good health. Above all things, as a matter of fact, he wants us to remain in good health. But when danger comes and God gives you instructions to stay in the house, then you better stay in the house. And that house today is the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. That's the house God wants us in today. And that's God's covering for the New Testament believer. That's God's covering for his children today. And I'm not talking about this brick-and-mortar building that I'm standing in this morning. This is just the place where the church meets. This is the place where the church assembles. The real church is you and I, the body of Christ, the body of believers. And the blood was only a token or a symbol of the fact that we're believers and we're in that house and we have faith in that blood to protect us. And when the death angel, the destroyer, seen that, he was not allowed into that house. He was not allowed to touch anybody in that house. And he had to pass over that house because of the blood. Now, if he caught you out in the street, that's another story. He had access to you. 
But we're in a house this morning called the Church of the Living God, and we can be confident that this is God's covering for his children. Again, I'm not talking about the roof over my head right now. I'm talking about God's covering over his children, God's covering over the church. And when we're, in, when we're in this house under the blood, we can be confident and we can have faith in that blood that it will protect us and no evil will befall us and neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. Now, when Joshua was getting ready to lead the children into the promised land, he sent two spies into the city of Jericho on a reconnaissance mission. And the king of Jericho heard that they were in the land and he sent soldiers to search them out and find them. Now, I ain't judging these spies, don't get me wrong, but somehow they found this house of ill repute and ended up lodging there. Maybe they had good food there, a nice restaurant, I don't know. But the madam of that house was a harlot by the name of Rahab. Maybe you've heard the story. She heard the king sent soldiers to find the two spies, and so she hid them on the roof of, their, of her house under some stalks of flax. But before she did, she made them promise to her that they would spare her and her household when Israel came back to conquer Jericho. Well, the spies promised her they would, but being the enterprising businesswoman she was, she asked for a token, a symbol, something that would give her some insurance and remind the spies of their promise to guarantee her safety as well as her household's safety. So they handed her a scarlet-colored rope, and they said, When we come into the land to conquer it, you must leave this scarlet-colored rope hanging from the same window that we escaped from, and that scarlet-colored rope will be your promise, your insurance, that we will keep our promise and not destroy you or your house. And that scarlet-colored rope was the token that she asked for, the scarlet-colored rope was a symbol of the blood, and that was her guarantee of safety for her and her household. And what the spies were saying, when we see this token, when we see this symbol of the blood, we will not bring harm to your house. In other words, we'll pass over your house. Now, I know we all know the story about the city of Jericho, how the priest and the uh, Armies of Israel marched around it so many times, once a day for seven days, then seven, day, seven times on the seventh day, and then they lit out a great shout, and the Bible says the wall fell to the ground, and they walked right over it into Jericho and conquered it. But I want you to know not all the wall fell, because there was one section of wall where the house of Rahab was that didn't fall. It was preserved, and the reason it was preserved was because of the blood. Because of the token that was hanging from that window. And I'm telling you, I don't care what's going on around us. There could be plagues. There could be destruction of every kind. You stay in the house of God, and I'm telling you, he will pass over you when these things come. They won't come nigh your dwelling. But then the spies sternly warned her. They said, all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, all your relatives, they must remain in the house. If they leave the house, we're not going to be responsible for them. They told her basically the same thing that God told the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12 concerning the Passover. They said, if they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. It won't be on us. 
So, you know, I've always wondered why people won't stay in the house. Why do we think it's okay to wander from the church and then wonder where God is and why we're being destroyed? Why the destroyer has access to our lives? You can't just come and go as you please or just visit once in a while and expect God to protect you when you leave the covering that he has provided for us. This is a covering that God has provided. And he says, stay under the covering. Stay in the house. Stay in the ark. Stay in the ship. Stay in the church of God. That's where your protection is. That's where your provision is. And anytime you wander from that protection, that provision, wander out from under that covering, you're on your own. And the destroyer will have access to your life. Amen. You just can't come and go as you please. Stay where God has placed you. And someone might say, you know, it's nice in the house, but just every once in a while, I have to leave the house, get off the ark, come out from under the cloud, jump ship, leave the church, and go out there and stretch my wings a little bit. And, uh, but don't worry, I'll be back. Yeah, if the destroyer doesn't get a hold of you before you get back, if the destroyer doesn't get a hold of you while you're out there stretching your wings, you'll be back. But there's no guarantee. You can't expect God's blessings and protection when you're out there stretching your, your wings. That's just not how, how it works. You've got to do things God's way. You've got to do things uh, within his will, not your way and not according to your will. Amen. Amen. You know, I've wandered before, and thank God he, he's allowed me back to the house, and thank God that there's provision for forgiveness and everything, but... Why take the chance? But going back to the Passover in Egypt, the ones who obeyed and did the word of the Lord, what's the word of the Lord? He said, stay in the house. That's God's word for Israel that day. Stay in the house. And those who did stay in the house, those who did the word of the Lord, the ones who stayed in the house because they were doers of the word, didn't just hear it. They stayed under the blood. And the Bible says when that Passover ended, God set them free, brought them forth with silver and gold. And the Bible says there was not one feeble person amongst them. Now, we're talking about 400 plus years of, of slavery. There had to be feeble people among them. There had to be fee, feeble people with broken wings and broken legs and, and strained backs and malnutrition and all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. They were slaves. They weren't well cared for. They weren't well fed. And yet the Bible says not, there wasn't one feeble one amongst them. What's that mean? That means that God not only prospered them coming out of the land of Egypt, but he healed them for their journey. Hallelujah. And then he gave them the lands of the heathen. But when you get under the blood, you have to stay under the blood. The blood will protect you. The blood will save you. The blood will deliver you from slavery and set you free. The blood will heal you and prosper you. Back to Exodus 12, 23 and 24 again. And then we're going to move along with this. I know people get uncomfortable when you talk about the blood. I mean, the blood is messy. It's icky. It's gooey. It's sticky. Uh, ooh, I don't, want, I, I don't like to see blood. It, it upsets me. It upsets my stomach. But I want you to know today when we leave here, you're going to understand the importance of this blood. It says in Exodus 12, 23, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two doors, the side post, 
the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer or allow the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing, this Passover celebration, for an ordinance to you and to your sons forever. And forever means forever. Forever is a long time. It even means when we get to heaven, we're going to celebrate this Passover. We're going to celebrate communion even in heaven. And uh, I mean, what has this got to do with communion and why all this talk about blood? Because God said to observe the Passover forever. And what God did in Exodus chapter 12 with that Passover lamb was a type and shadow of our Passover lamb, who is Jesus Christ. When Jesus was chosen by God and sacrificed on Calvary, it was a perfect fulfillment of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed in Exodus chapter 12. According to the types and shadows in Exodus 12, the Passover lamb would be selected on the 10th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar, put to death on the 14th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar, and that 14th day is our Good Friday, and it's the Jews' Passover. A little over 2,000 years ago on this day, Palm Sunday, I like to call it Lamb Selection Day because that's when that lamb was selected, the first day of the week, the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. That was the day that he was selected by the people. He was selected by God before the foundations of the earth. God had Jesus selected as a chosen lamb and crucified from the beginning of time for us. But they cried, the people, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So obviously, he was their choice that day. They chose him that day when he entered Jerusalem, the 10th day of Nisan on Palm Sunday. But by the following Friday, Good Friday, Passover Friday, the 14th day of Nisan, those same people were crying, crucify, crucify. They chose their lamb on Palm Sunday and then sacrificed him on Good Friday on Passover. And the Apostle Paul tells us plainly in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for even Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Christ is our, sac our, our Passover lamb. The New Testament celebration of Passover for the Christian is communion. And that's why we're going to observe it today. That's why it's important that we observe it on a regular basis, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year. It doesn't make any difference. It's important that we observe it because it means some things. And this is the ordinance God told us to observe forever. That's the first reason we should do it, because God told us to. And when Jesus and the disciples partook of this Last Supper, as it was called, it was actually the, the Passover celebration that they were observing. And the reason we talk so much about the blood today is because towards the end of that meal, Jesus called it a blood covenant and that it was his blood that was going to ratify it and seal it. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we partake of communion, it points to several things. First of all, like I said, it points to the fact that God told us to do it. 
And second, it, it tells us that it's us affirming our blood covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And when blood covenants are made in the Hebrew culture, they always involve, among other things, a meal and the planting of a, a memorial tree sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice to remind the covenant parties that they are in covenant. So every time they look at that tree, they remember, I'm in covenant with so-and-so. I have to remember that covenant. I have to remember my relationship with him. I have to remember his responsibilities to me and my responsibilities to him. But we're in a lopsided covenant with Jesus Christ because he made all the promises to us, and we gave him nothing. We gave him our filthy rash. We gave him our sins, and he gave us everything, the kingdom of God and all its promises. So it's a lopsided covenant. We come out good in this deal. I mean, most covenants are, are basically equal from one party to the next. You know, you do this and I'll do that. And then I'll do that and you do this. But we didn't have to do anything. He did it all for us. Hallelujah. But anyway, Jesus gathers his disciples together at the Last Supper to participate in the covenant meal of bread and wine, what we call communion. And then after that meal, Jesus went out and left a memorial to the covenant. He planted a tree on a hill called Calvary, and he didn't just sprinkle blood on it. He poured blood on it. And Paul wrote to the Galatian church and proclaimed, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so that cross is the tree. The tree is the cross. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but when Jesus hung on that cross, the Bible says he became a curse. But what was he cursed with? He was cursed with our curse. He was cursed with our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Everything Jesus took to the cross belonged to us. He was innocent. He was spotless. He knew no sin. It was our sin. But that tree he planted was the cross. But it wasn't the blood of an animal that he poured out on it. It was his blood, the blood of a perfect, innocent lamb. And it wasn't just a sprinkle either. It was all his blood. Every drop he had left in his body after the scourging that he endured and the whipping that he endured and, and, and the beatings that he endured and the crown of thorns on his head, all that blood that was left in his body was drained out on that tree, was drained out on that cross. And that blood-stained tree stands forever as a memorial to what? The blood covenant that we have with him. And every time I see that cross, it reminds me of the blood-bought covenant. Every time I see that cross, it reminds me of how he died for me. And it reminds me of how he saved me and, and how he did all of that for me. How that cup that he drank in the garden was filled with the dregs of mankind. It was filled with my sin and your sin. And he not only had to take it on him to the cross, he had to drink it in. He had to take it within him and take it to the cross. And by partaking in communion, you're identifying with that celebration of uh, Passover. You're identifying with the celebration of the covenant that Jesus made with us. And every time you look at that blood-stained tree, it's going to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. And I know that hopefully all of us have observed that tree from one time or another. I, I, I hope that all of us have looked upon that tree at one time or another and seen the blood on it. But 
I hope when you look on it after today, you'll see it in a different light. And when we partake of communion, it proclaims the Lord's death until he comes again. It reminds us not only of the past and what Jesus did for us, but it also reminds us of the future of his return. He is coming back again someday. And you know what's so beautiful about this whole thing? God revealed it not only in Exodus chapter 12, but he revealed it throughout the entire Old Testament and trying to prepare not only his people, but us as well, the Gentiles. He's trying to prepare us to expect his invitation to come someday and when it comes to accept it. He pointed to that through types and shadows all through the Old Testament. And when he finally did come uh, into, into Jerusalem that day, you would think that the people were ready for him. You would think that the people had been looking for him for thousands of years since Adam sinned in the garden, but they weren't looking for him, not as the Messiah, not as the Savior. They were looking to him as a king, but he was more than a king. And he'll return again someday as a king. But the beautiful thing of this is that Jesus said in Revelations 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And I don't know if you realize it, but that's covenant language. He wasn't just talking about having a sandwich with, with somebody in the house. In the Hebrew culture, people who are in covenant with one another are called friends. If I called you a friend in the Hebrew culture back then in those days, that meant that you were a covenant partner with me. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm knocking, and if you'll open the door, I'll come in, and we will cut covenant together, and I will be your friend, and you'll be my friend. Hallelujah. And so I just want you to know he's knocking this morning, and i just wondering if you'll open the door and let him in. I noticed the painting of Jesus as he stands at the door, and you probably know what I'm talking about. You've seen the painting before, and he's standing at a beautiful little door, and he's knocking on it. But the one thing, if you look closely at the door, you'll see there's no doorknob on the outside. That means that door can only be opened from the inside. And that's why Jesus was knocking. He's not going to kick it in. He's not going to blow the lock off and come in uh, without you inviting him. You have to open the door, and you have to invite him in. And that door is the door to your heart. Won't you do that this morning? But we celebrate communion in our church, and that means that everyone that calls Jesus Lord is welcome to participate. Uh, there's only one pre-qualification, and that is that you do call Jesus Lord, that you are a Christian, that you're born again. Uh, and if you are, then we encourage you to have communion with us this morning, to break bread with us or that cracker that you have, and then partake of the juice with us this morning. Paul taught us about communion in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. Uh, I'm going to take the element of the bread. I have a little wafer here because we have these little, or excuse me, <coughs> little packets, and they have a little wafer under the label and then a little bit of juice like this. And that's what we use for communion here. But again, it doesn't make any difference whether it's a piece of bread, a cracker, or orange juice, or any kind of juice that you can find. It'll all work because there's nothing really significant about the bread and the juice. What's significant is what they represent. These are just symbols or emblems or tokens 
of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, do we reverence the elements or do we reverence what they represent? And it's what they represent that is holy. It's what they represent that we reverence. And so on the night of the Last Supper, the Passover meal, Jesus, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. So the first thing Jesus did uh, was he gave thanks. And so that's what we will do. So take your bread or your cracker or whatever it is that you're going to use this morning and hold it and we'll all partake together uh, after we pray. Father, we give you thanks. We recognize with due appreciation exactly what this wafer, this piece of bread, this cracker represents, and that is the body of Jesus Christ. And we recognize and remember everything that he went through in that body, the suffering that he endured in that body, the whipping he took for our healing at the whipping post, and then, of course, the the beatings and the crucifixion, Lord. We remember everything he did in that body. We not only remember what he did, but we remember that he did it for us. And we're so thankful and so grateful for that this morning. Take and eat. And then the Bible says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year, it doesn't make any difference. But as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Or you preach about the Lord's death. You preach the gospel till he comes. So in the same manner, Father, we give you thanks for this grape juice, this orange juice, whatever juice we have, Lord, we give you thanks because we know that it represents not only the blood of Jesus Christ, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a blood that is without price, a blood that can't be valued. And we realize the power that's in that blood to save. God, it just takes one drop of this blood to save the entire world. Just one drop. But God, you had them pour it all out on Calvary. And that's what we see here. You said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remittance of sin in Leviticus 17, 11. So, Lord, we know without the shedding of that blood, there would have been no remittance of sin. Our sins would have not been washed under the blood. Our sins would have not been forgiven. So we recognize with due appreciation the emblem that, uh, that this, the blood that this emblem represents. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Take and drink. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't know about you, but that, that feels good to me. Uh, I love partaking in communion because uh, another part of that blood covenant uh, in the Hebrew culture, and we see this in our uh, modern-day weddings as well, was the sharing of the, we use it, wedding cake, the sharing of the wedding cake, and where you give your spouse or your wife or your husband a bite of your cake, they give you a bite of theirs. I know it usually winds up smeared in somebody's face, but it's really a holy uh, move, and it represents the covenant, and by 
me eating your bread and you eating my bread or our eating Jesus, the bread that Jesus provided, and uh, we are participating in a covenant. In other words, it's saying that you're coming into me and I'm coming into you and we're becoming one together. So there's a lot of significance in that breaking of the bread. So before we close this morning, as always, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we lift up before you everyone within the sound of our voice, as well as everyone they know and they love. I pray that you would bless, prosper, and protect each and every one, that you would smile on them and be gracious towards them, that you may show them your favor and give them your peace. Lord, we pray for the discouraged, the depressed, the downtrodden, the sick. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage them, that you would heal them, spirit and soul and body this morning. Lord, we lift up in prayer our nation this morning. We pray for all of those in authority. We pray for our leaders. We pray for everyone in the world that's working tirelessly during this crisis, especially all the healthcare workers, the doctors, the nurses, the clinicians. We pray for our teachers, that you would bless them, strengthen, protect, and encourage, and heal them all. And Lord, you said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who give it to all men and upbraideth not or will not withhold it. So, Lord, we pray that you would give the doctors and the scientists the wisdom that they need to find a cure for this virus. And we pray, Lord, that you would give your angels charge over us, keep us safe, that you'd lead us and protect us everywhere we go. And we pray, Lord, that, you, that we will walk in divine health and bold faith that no evil will come near us and no sickness will touch us. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. I just want to make one quick announcement, and then I'm going to let you go. We're going to start doing a 15-minute session starting this Wednesday, and then hopefully every Wednesday, at least till this uh, ban for gathering is lifted. And it's going to be designed, it's going to be a short burst of faith. It's just designed to help encourage you and help you to get through the week. Maybe just a word of encouragement, a word that might strengthen you, might cheer you up a little bit. But look for us on Facebook Live. At 6 o'clock p.m., God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks for joining us. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.